Imagine your toes on a white sand beach, a cool ocean breeze in your hair, casually soaking in the midday sun, and sipping a Mai Tai. Or experiencing an oceanfront luau with traditional Polynesian music, dance, and mouthwatering cuisine. I'm Mary Herendine. On today's episode of Traveling with AAA, we are going to Hawaii. Joining us to talk about the culture, food, and people is Rachel Ng, an award-winning freelance journalist, food editor of Westways Magazine, regional editor of AAA Explorer Texas, and contributor to National Geographic outside the Times of London and Rachel Ray in season. Rachel Ng, thank you for joining us. Aloha and welcome to Traveling with AAA. Aloha. It's been um, wonderful to, to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Rachel, I understand you've always had a love for Hawaii. Can you tell us what it is about Hawaii that stole a piece of your heart? Um, I would say I was born and raised in Singapore. And one of my first trips um, might be my second trip to the U.S. Um, there was a layover in Hawaii where I spent a few days with my parents and then um, a few trips later with my grand uh, with my grandmother. And, um, you know, from being it, from an island, coming to an island in America, it was just it was such a beautiful place. It, it kind of reminded me of home a little bit but um, a completely different flavor. Um, the people there are always so friendly and um, the food and the culture, it's just such a magical place to be. Right, I spent uh, time in Hawaii for the very first time about seven years ago and it was incredible. It was really an experience and I've been several times since then. And now I know you recently moved there. What's different about living there versus vacationing? That's a good question. I've actually been to Hawaii many times over the years. I used to cover um, the food um, scene in Hawaii for um, AAA. And um, living here is a completely different experience. It's it's away from the, the beautiful resorts. It's away from, I actually live in the mountains in Hawaii, which is pretty funny. I live right outside the Volcano National Park. And so year round up here, it's about a nice cool 70 degrees and sometimes it can dip to like 50 degrees. And so I have a fireplace, which is not something you would think of living in Hawaii to need a coat um, in the morning. But um, just being able to meet the people on a person-to-person level, um, meet all the aunties and uncles that, you know, at the grocery store or at the farmer's market, um, you get a very different nuance of um, how people live versus the tourist experience, which is also great, but, um, you know, it's definitely different. Living that island life. And I know um, as a food lover and food editor of Westways, where did your love of food and travel come from? I would say probably since I was a little kid, my parents actually met on a trip. Um, My dad was in Japan and they met on a ski trip. And so um, traveling has always been a big priority of our family. We didn't get too many toys or too many tchotchkes, um, but every year we we would travel somewhere. And my dad was always, is always a big foodie. So whenever we travel, he would find like the deep alley little uh, corner store and we would walk for like, you know, one time I think we probably walked for an hour looking for this place he read about. So I think that's been instilled in me ever since I was a kid. It's like food and travel always go hand in hand. I love that. I love that. You know, um, just even as an adult, when I think back when I was a kid, you were all these little toys or things that I wanted, but it's the experiences that you really remember. And it sounds like, you know, travel and food was just part of your DNA. 
Right. And I think something about food is that it, it hits all your senses. There's touch, there's smell, there's taste. And um, sometimes when me and my mother and my sister talk about some of the trips that we talked, uh, we've had in the past, it was always the food that we remember the most. And it was always the most minute little, little details about the food that we had. And it's really interesting to have such shared memories of something that happened so long ago. And it always has something uh, tied to food. Right. Yeah. Um, I love that. They say, you know, food is the way to someone's heart. And I know for you with your Instagram handle, Rachel loves chicken. <laughs> I'm imagining food is or chicken is part of that. Uh, will you tell us more about that um, Instagram handle? Oh, I love chicken. Um, so as I said earlier, I was born and raised in Singapore and we have this very famous uh, dish called chicken rice. It's Hainanese chicken rice. It's poached chicken and the rice is cooked in a broth. And I had it every day in high school no joke and um but i love all kinds of chicken i love fried chicken you know going to kfc for my birthday is a big <laughs> highlight when i was a kid <laughs> and uh even on this island you know my favorite fried chicken place is from a sporting goods store and also there's this roadside stand um that sells huli huli chicken which is like seasoned rotisserie chicken and i go once a week and they know me there and they're like weren't you here last week i'm like yes i will be here every week that sounds incredible yeah there's um a haiku market so my in-laws um had a place in haiku maui um on the wet side mm-hmm. of the island and um haiku market has like a little stand out front and they they have like traditional Hawaiian food is so good so um that was one of the things that we did um the first time I went over there with my husband um but yeah so Rachel loves chicken now I bet you know a lot about um the food scene in Hawaii would you tell us a little bit about the scene I heard that food fusion concept really comes from Hawaii um, that's a really interesting question. I'm working on a story right now about um, the food scene in Hawaii. And what I've learned is it's very it's very multi-layered. There is the food of Hawaii that was pre, pre-Western contact. So before Captain Cook showed up, um, the food that the people ate here um, were, you know, the, the taro, the poi, the breadfruit, the fresh fish. Um, the limus, which is um, the seaweed, that sort of salty seaweed that seasons all their food. And then there was, you know, um, after Western contact, uh, you know, the British and Americans, they brought over cattle. They brought over pineapple, sugarcane, and um, funny enough, ice. They brought in ice for what we know today as shave ice. And and after that, there's a big migration, a rolling migration of Chinese, Japanese, um, Filipino, Portuguese um, workers who came here to work in plantations. And during their lunch breaks, they would bring these like, you know, terrafins of food and they would share with each other. And that's sort of how the hybrid and, and the fusion came together. And so, you know, when you're, you know, going to a restaurant or going to a luau, sometimes you see representations of all these different kinds of food. But the future of Hawaiian food, um, it's actually also very interesting there some of them are going back to the roots and really finding you know what made Hawaii food stand out rather than competing with what's available at the mainland and you know really incorporating the local flavor into fine dining I like that I like to hear that especially you know as a visitor if you can get everything on the mainland all the time it just makes it all the more interesting mm-hmm. all the more experience um, when you're on your vacation, when you're visiting Hawaii, to be able to have that traditional food. So, okay, what's the deal with spam? Why is it so popular (laughs) in Hawaii? 
That's a really good question. So, so Hawaii has a large, has always had a large uh, military um, presence in here. And, you know, right after Pearl Harbor had hit, um, the entire Hawaii was under martial law for several years. And so at that time on the mainland, um, the Japanese Americans on the mainland were and put in internment camps. But in Hawaii, um, we, they had such a large population, they, they um, only certain fraction of them were put into camps. However, um, the movements of the other Japanese Americans were severely restricted. So a lot of them used to be fishermen and they weren't allowed to fish. And so um, there, they came to be a heavy reliant on um, processed food and spam. And that's kind of how spam came to be. But it's, you know, they put their own take on it. They put soy and teriyaki sauce on it and then grilled it and put it on rice for, for spam musubi. So they took something that was available to them that was very humble. And they made it they made it their own and they made it a favorite of, um, I love spam musubi. You can find them at 7-Eleven stores here, gas stations, roadside stands, everywhere. Okay, describe this spam musubi for us. What is it? Spam musubi is really just fried spam mm -hmm. on rice. Sometimes it's wrapped in seaweed to hold it all together. I've seen it. It is a fantastic. It is a fantastic picnic food. It's portable, and you know they uh, at the stores they keep it in a little warmer, so you get this like little warm ball of rice and meat, and it, it hits everything. I think after you know a beach trip or or a hiking trip, it it nourishes you. You got protein, you got carbohydrates, you're good to go. Okay, I have seen it. I know I've seen it in the store. Haiku Market, for sure, I've seen it um, because I go there to get, like, fresh pokey. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so you recently wrote an article, Eight Resorts in Hawaii, Perfect for Couples, Families, and Solo Travelers. And in the article, you have suggestions for visitors to the islands. Can you tell us about the different islands and what type of experience travelers might expect from each? Sure. So the there are eight islands in Hawaii, but four of them are probably the biggest um, tourist draws. So you have Oahu, um, which has the, the metropolis of Honolulu. And I'd say Oahu, if you are only ever going to visit Hawaii once, I would highly recommend Oahu because you can get the city life and you can also get the tranquil beach life. So in North Shore, which is about, I'd say an hour, depending on how fast you drive, uh, north of uh, Waikiki. It's it's a beautiful beach town. The, the surfs are great. The white sands are beautiful. Um, but if you want a nightlife, you want to go to you know the great restaurants, you want to go to clubs after the sun goes down, um, I would highly recommend going to Waikiki. So, and then also Oahu has, uh, in my opinion, a lot of um, museums that are really great to check out. Um, the Bishop Museum, the Iwalani Museum. And then also all sorts of surf spots. I think it's it's probably the one island that is most um, apt at welcoming tourists. Um, I'd say second is Maui. Maui tends to be a little bit more expensive. Maui has um, the most uh, swimmable white sand beaches of all the islands. Um, the waters are pristine and the hotels are amazing and gorgeous. Um, and, you know, if you want to just really get away, Maui is also a very romantic um, location. Um, Kauai is, it's more rural. There's, I think, 
I read somewhere that 70% of Kauai is not drivable. So it's it's very lush. It's very green. Um, it's for the adventurers. You know, if you want to go hiking and you want to go to the waterfalls um, and you want sort of a throwback of what Hawaii used to be, you'd want to go to Kauai. And finally, on the big island, um, the island of Hawaii is where I live. And it has... Um, an active volcano. I think that's the biggest draw on the big island. I actually live two miles from the volcano. And sometimes from my office, I can see, I can see Pele's, Pele's glow and smoke in the air. And I think that's the most exciting thing for people. Um, there's a really great national park here with lots of hiking trails, but also the big island is big. And um, I love taking road trips around um, the island of Hawaii. There are, um, I think, one of the most microclimates in the world. So you can drive through desert climate. You can drive through like rainforest and everything in between. There's cactus here and there's rolling hills with cows. It's very idyllic. And, you know, just two hour drive and you can drive through, you know, inky black lava that's left over from the last flow. And it's just such an incredible experience. So I think every island has something very unique. Uh, it depends on your personality and what you like to do. Um, but if it's one trip, all encompassing, I would highly recommend Oahu. All right. Well, thank you for that. I can't imagine, you know, all in a weekend or even a, a day just driving through all of that uh just experiencing all those different places. So that's amazing. Now, you mentioned also some incredible properties um, for singles, couples, and families. Do you have suggestions for someone maybe who would like to have an amazing experience but keep it budget-friendly? Budget-friendly. So um, I'd say we'll tackle Maui um, because it is the most expensive. Um, there, One of the hotels I visited on my very first trips to Maui was the Kanapali Beach Hotel. And um, it is, it to me, it was such a throwback of the first time I visited Hawaii. It's a little bit more, more old school. Um, it maybe doesn't have as many, you know, pools and amenities in some of the other hotels. But I loved it because I felt very connected to the island, just having nothing but the, the white sand beach right in front of me. Um, but there are also a lot of camping options. You'll have to plan a little bit earlier. Um, but there are campsites. You can do uh, van camping if you want to. You just have to make your reservations a little bit earlier. And on Oahu, um, you know, the white sand beaches are great, but a block over, there are several hotels that are really great. Um, you just have to walk a little to the beach, but it really is. It's an interesting walk. So, you know, I, I, I never get bothered by that. And um, as you go further away from the beaches, you can get a little bit more of a deal. And, you know, sometimes um, they have, if, if you purchase something in a bulk, so like if it's instead of three nights, you do a four night, sometimes they have deep discounts on that. But right now in Hawaii, they are um, really promoting this uh, concept of malama. It's just kind of like taking care of the land and, and, and giving back. So there are a lot of hotels that are giving discounts um, if you do some volunteer work when you are um, on the island. So if you're, you know, in, in Maui um, and in Kauai and on the big island, there are several hotels that if you sign up for the program and clean up the beach, you can get um, one of the nights free. And same with um, Oahu. 
and you can do that. You can plant trees. You can, um, there's a whole slew of programs that you can do that if a hotel is involved in it, they give you a discount, which is really fantastic. That is incredible. I've never actually heard of anything like that. And I, I think that's great. The idea that you're going to leave it better when you leave um, versus, right. you know, leave right. it it's worse sort of off. a it's sort of a step up of sustainable, you know, tourism. It's actually giving back rather than, you know, leaving no trace, no contact. And it's a really new thing that Hawaii is doing um, after, you know, the pandemic shutdown and they sort of had time to reassess and rethink about what tourism impact is on Hawaii. And I, I'll tell you, I experienced some of them a couple weeks ago in Maui. I was planting trees. I was cleaning the beaches. And it really does bring an extra layer of um, connection to um, the place that you're visiting that you, you feel like you're doing something um, that leaves a lasting memory. Leave that lasting impression. That's amazing. I love that. I'm going to look it up. So, you know, my in-laws, I was talking about that they were living in um, Haiku, Maui, and they sold their property not too long ago. During visits there, we would hike. Um, my husband loves to surf. He surfed all his life. So definitely that snorkeling, you know, checking out the sea turtles, go shopping in Lahaina or Paia. And as much as I've been, though, I still haven't been to an authentic luau, made any of those handmade lays, or swam through any waterfalls. What advice do you have for a traveler like me hoping for those types of experiences in a short visit? I'd say right now, um, especially in the last few years, a lot of these resorts have been um, sort of folding in that cultural experiences into their programming. So a lot of hotels in Hawaii would have, and they're all complimentary. They're all part of your stay. Um, they have lay making set workshops. They have hula classes and um, they have cultural ambassadors, native Hawaiians who talk story with you. And you, if you want to learn, um, it's, it's, it's a place that you can go to. Uh, for example, the outrigger in Waikiki recently opened a cultural center um, to talk about the canoe history and they have cultural ambassador there too that's very very knowledgeable um, and so I think that is one of the things what the hotels are doing these days that I think are pretty incredible um, my favorite luau is the one at the Royal Hawaiian um, in Waikiki and it's, it's a beautiful dazzling show but they also take it a step further where they explain the context because the luau that a lot of people are familiar with is actually um, a mixture of Polynesian dances. Mm -hmm. They're not just strictly Hawaii. And I think a lot of people in the past, in the 70s and 80s, they go see a luau show, they think it's all Hawaii. And so I think what the show at the Royal Hawaiian does is explains, you know, where the Polynesian people came from, what's significant about those dances, the costumes are different. Um, I also like the Polynesian Center, which is in the North Shore, um, that also has a very comprehensive a luau that's not only entertaining, but also educational. And I think that's what um, that's, you know, what's happening these days. But, you know, if you're not in a you know fancy hotel with all this programming, sometimes if you go to one of those outdoor malls, mm -hmm. they will have performances. And those are really authentic. They they work with the, the hula schools, local hula schools, and they put on these performances. And I've seen a few of these and they are they're really incredible to see as well. Right. You really know a lot and about ask, these. <laughs> And as for waterfalls and um, one of the really unique things on the Big Island, too, is you can swim with um, manta rays at night. Wow. Um, they have these boats where they light up with and, and it 
attracts these planktons and the manta ray shows up. And I think there are only a handful of places in the world that you can do that. And so, you know, I'd say work with um, tour operators, pleasant holidays. They have all these great packages and it doesn't take away from um, the experience just because you go with a vendor. It actually um, really helps you plan your time and you can get a lot more out of it than trying to figure out yourself. You know, how do I get there? Where do I park? It's when you work with a vendor, um, it really does help you uh, maximize the time that you have on the island. And it also makes sure that you're visiting places that are designated for um, a large number of people. So for example, right now on, on Instagram and on YouTube, you know, you see a lot of people going to these beautiful waterfalls, but they're in someone's backyard <laughs> and you really don't really, it did gorgeous, but you know, you have to think about as a tourist, what your impact is too. Yeah. Be respectful of the place. So exactly. You know, I, I love that you're sharing about the hula um, in all of these great places. I know you recently wrote an article in the National Geographic on the history of hula. Would you share a little bit more on, on what we might find in that article? Oh, um, yes. So, you know, as a kid, I've, I've gone to a luau, I've watched a hula, and I thought I know what it is. It's beautiful ladies with a flower in their hair, you know, dancing to beautiful music. And when I was doing the story, you know, I found out that hula – Hula used to be, so Hawaii um, is, it's more of an oral tradition. That's why they talk stories. They didn't have a written language until the 1820s. So a lot of what they, how they communicated with each other were through chants or called meles. And these chants were talking about history. It talks about how the islands are formed. It's sort of how historical knowledges are passed down. But in the you know late 1700s and 1800s, there was a big Christian influence on the islands, and it was sort of frowned upon. It was um, it was banned, and it kind of went underground. Um, and then when it comes to the early 1900s, it sort of you know people thought like, oh, hula is such a great cultural tourist ambassadors. You know, it's you know it's such a friendly face to invite tourists over, and so they they kind of got tied into the tourism industry with the Kodak show that was free in Waikiki in the 1970s and the luau's and all that. But along the way, you know, a little bit of what really is hula kind of got lost, which is about history. It's about them telling the stories of their ancestors, about how the islands were formed, how the weather was formed. And so Along the evolution, you know, cultural activists have really moved forward in preserving the authenticity of hula. So there are actually two kinds of hulas that we see these days. There is the original chances, more traditional. You'll see the costumes are going to be a little bit different. And then you have the more modern ones where maybe they're dancing to ukuleles mm -hmm. and flat guitar. And that is more a modern version. And they're both all embraced. And each year in April, the Mary Monarch Festival is a huge hula competition. And it started in the 60s to attract um, tourists. But now the, the tickets are really, really hard to get um, because it's gotten so popular. But it's really gotten um, the people into appreciating all forms of hula. But you can watch that on YouTube. Um, they, they do televised versions of that. And it's quite amazing to watch. I plan to. So that's coming up in just a few short weeks or... You know, we're right there. So amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Now, um, in your article, you also mentioned uh, some Hyatt Regency, the Maui Resort, and the Moana Surfrider. Could you tell us why those resorts stand out? 
Sure. I was just at the um, the Hyatt and I stayed there a few years ago and I loved it. It's it's like a tropical, lush, botanical garden. There's birds everywhere. There's flamingos, there's swans, there's black swans. And uh, there are penguins too, African penguins that you can visit in the morning. And um, their pools are incredible. There's an underground grotto with a swim up bar in there. There's a lot of amenities for children. And uh, what I liked about it is that you can just stay in a hotel and they have cultural programmings as well. And so you can stay in a hotel, you know, unpack your stuff and just really immerse and enjoy um, your, t- your stay there without having to leave if you don't want to. And um, the Moana Surfrider, it's got a special place in my heart. I'm a big history buff. I love history. And Moana Surfrider is the first hotel to open up in Waikiki in 1901. It's a, a historic place. And it's got this giant banyan tree that you can sit, you know, in a rocking chair under and look out into the ocean. Um, it's an older hotel, so um, it's not as, you know, I'd say fancy as some of the other hotels with the six pools and, you know, and, and the, the spa and all that stuff. But it also does have, I think, the only beachfront spa in Waikiki. So there's that for them. And I just love the history of it. I love the architecture, the building and, you know, all the famous people that used to that has stayed there before. Certainly a lot of history in that hotel. Amazing. So when is the best time for traveling to the islands? And if I wanted to go, when should I start planning with my AAA travel advisor? I would say plan sooner rather than later. Um, Hawaii just lifted its travel restrictions. And so um, a lot of people have seen a spike in interest in coming to Hawaii. So I'd say even if it's two years ahead, book now. Um, There is no bad time to visit Hawaii. Um, There are rainy seasons. Um, So, but then in Hawaii, there's also the wet side and the dry side. So there, you know, you're always gonna, you're always gonna find sunshine somewhere. Um, uh, Christmases tend to be very popular. And so if you want to come during Christmas time, definitely book um, far ahead. The rainiest times are around uh, February and March. So, you know, sometimes if people want to do a lot of outdoor activities in the places, even if it's uh, the the wet side of the island, um, that's something to take into consideration. But I would say April, May is a great time. Um, the, the whales, uh, the humpback whales come to Hawaii between, I believe, November and April. And um, they, they're, they're plentiful in Maui if you go around March, which I was just there. And it's incredible. I think I saw like two, two three dozen uh, humpback whales. And it, it's, dozen. And, you know, I'm originally lived in Cal. Yes, I, li- I lived in Southern California and I would go whale watching. And if you're lucky, you get to see one whale. But it was it was they were just, you know spouts everywhere, tail flips everywhere. It was quite incredible. It sounds like it. So it sounds like any time is good. You just have to be really clear about what experience you're looking for um, when working with your advisor. Exactly. Exactly. And when, if it's really crowded, you know, that might, summer holidays are very crowded. So that might, you know, influence a little bit of your experience. Um, in Christmas time, you know, some of the restaurants uh, might be booked up. So uh, definitely, if you want to come during the high season, 
plan And early. I know you said that Hawaii just lifted its protocols and it's already getting a lot of interest. So it would be important for people to book now. And so, Rachel, um, thank you so much for all of your tips. Now, one last thing. If I could only visit the islands once in my life, I know I'm going to Oahu, you said, but what are the once-in-a-lifetime must-do, see, or eat experiences that you'd suggest that I could only get there? I would say yes, go to Oahu. Um, I would say plan a few days on Waikiki. Um, they have this trolley tour that you can sign up for that kind of takes you to all the, the all the attractions. You get to go to the Diamond Head um, Mountains. You get to go to the Bishop Museum. And I would also say, you know, spend a day or a few hours at the Pearl Harbor. I think uh, you learn a lot about the history there. Um, I would say definitely make a trip out to the North Shore uh, for just the quieter side of Hawaii. Um, you'll want to eat a lot of banana bread. You'll want to eat a lot of shave ice and spam musubi. And definitely sign up for um, one luau at least. Then you get to see all the cultural um, experiences and you get to taste all the all the plate lunch food that you might, you know, have to go seek out if, if you're short on time. A luau is a great experience to sample all the food in Hawaii. And I would say plan some days where you just sit by the beach. You know, you're on vacation. It doesn't have to be go, go, go. It's just enjoy, enjoy the breeze, enjoy the sand um, and enjoy the, the surf. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. If you are planning a trip, be sure to connect with a AAA travel advisor check out AAA.com forward slash travel or visit your local branch. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. I'm Mary Herendine. Thank you for traveling with AAA.